Thursday Finance and for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. Uh, we're going a little bit later on to be talking about Centrelink pensions and how income is assessed or what income is accessible for that when Mandy joins us from Centrelink. And we're going to look at the market in just a little while. But first of all, uh, we do, as we normally do, we look at currencies and commodities. But there are financial or um, economic uh, implications, Stephen Pritchard, with this dual citizenship decision that's come down from the High Court? Well, the major economic implication is going to be that the Australian public have got to pay for another round of uh, elections for the House of Representatives where the members have been found to be ineligible. And, and quite frankly, if those those members who, who uh, 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 want to do the right thing by the Australian public, they should be paying out of their own pocket for the cost of these elections. You know, any other any other profession, like if you were out practising as a doctor and found to be eligible for it not to be a doctor, there'd be all sorts of problems. And the only consequence here appears to be that uh, we'll have to go to another election. So at the very least, they need to pay for the cost of the election. Has this ever been done before, do you think? Oh, the, what? That people have paid for the No, of course the not. The politicians don't want to put their hand in their own pocket. But it'd be interesting to, for them to try and explain why they've caused all this expense to occur through through just plain negligence and why the Australian public should have to pay and, and why they shouldn't have to pay. You know, you know, if you go to the vet and you find out he's not a qualified vet, you know, there's all sorts of problems. There certainly are. You go, to the, you go to the solicitor and you find out they're not a qualified solicitor, there's all sorts of problems. So why is this any different? The very least is they can pay for the cost of the election. Would you like to suggest it to them? I'll suggest it to them. Excellent. We're happy to take their calls on an explanation as to why they shouldn't. Yes, very good. I'd be fair. very used to, you know. The other issue is should they be, have to pay repay all these salaries that they weren't entitled to to start with? Oh, no, there's another Well, you know, that's even a more question. question. You yeah. know, none of this, they don't want to talk about any of this. Mm, uh, no, so anyhow, the... The price of gold. Uh, the price of gold was up half a percent on the week to sixteen hundred and sixty-three dollars an ounce. Uh, the price of copper uh, was was down about two percent to eight thousand nine hundred and three dollars a ton, and the price of tin was down two percent to twenty-five thousand four hundred and seventy-six dollars a ton, and the crude oil price was up another three point two percent on the week to seventy-eight dollars and seventy-three cents a barrel. We'll take a look at the bowsers in we'll a little. Take a look at the so barrels. All the bowser price. All the bowser yeah. price. Was was uh, oh it was up to, um, and the U.S. dollar the U.S. dollars uh, the Australian dollar uh, exchange rate um, we're up a bit against the U.S. dollar to seventy six point seven six U.S. cents. Um, the Great British pound we were down a bit against that to fifty seven. Uh, pence and the euro we were up about half a percent to sixty six euro cents. Mm-hmm. Um, the equity markets around the world. Well, we, we finally got over six thousand. Oh, do we? Six thousand. Oh, yes, well done, us. Yesterday, so six thousand and five dollars. Six thousand and five. Uh, we closed it yesterday, so it was up 0.3% on the week. The S&P index uh, was up uh, 0.7 to 2,579, and the UK index was pretty much steady at 7,487. Um, some some stocks of interest to local investors. Uh, BHP was up 1.1% to $26.95. Uh, CBA continued its uh, drift downwards after a small increase last week, but so we're back... We're back to lower than we were before, down another 1.6% on the week to twenty-seven uh, to $77.67. Uh, NIB continues its uh, 
strong run upwards, up up another three point one percent to the week to six dollars fifty five, and and Telstra and and you know, after my experience today, I can understand why they're losing market share. Um, down another uh, was three dollars fifty seven for the week. I mean, you know, it's atrocious. You're on, you're on hold for an hour and a half. Trying, I mean, to get hold of trying to get hold of something. I could solve that problem in two seconds flat. All you have to do is say to the CEO of Telstra, you're on a KPI, and you know, for every minute people have to wait past this figure, it comes out of your salary. The problem is solved. It will be solved within a day. Solved within a day. And you get people who can't even speak English. <laughs> you know? And, yes, and, and, and the amazing, the, the amazing thing, mm. the amazing, this is the most amazing thing for a telco. You ask the phone number of the person and you get told they don't have a telephone. They can only be contacted by email when you ask for the supervisor. So the supervisor in the call center doesn't have a telephone. Can you believe it? That's amazing. It's amazing for a telco. It is. And uh, it's no wonder they got problems. It's been fairly widespread problems. Yes, it? yeah. So the, the, oil, the petrol price, which was up 9% on the week to $1.37 a litre. Uh-huh. Uh, is there That's, no holidays coming up, is it? Um, no, it's uh, bucking the trend. And uh, and uh, the Sydney price was also up to $1.37 a litre, so both up both up 8% on the week. This is unleaded. Uh, yeah, this is the, yes. the unleaded fuel, yeah. Um, the diesel price was up 3% in Newcastle to $1.29 a litre, and Sydney was down uh, 1% to $1.27 a litre. No Henry Jennings today, Stephen Pritchard. So we're so we've just the, you and me getting the good oil from you tonight, today. And uh, we're talking about Maya to start off with. Maya, are they still owned by the family that originally? No, owned? no, Maya's listed on the on the stock exchange. Um, it, it was bought by um, some private equity operators and listed on the stock exchange and relisted uh, about four years ago, I think, yep. at four dollars twenty. And the share price has never been any four dollars twenty since. So uh, you mean it's been up? No. It's been down. <laughs> no. I think it's around 70 cents today. And, and, and they, they announced the, their sales update uh, yesterday. And, and Solomon, who was less than impressed, I mean, they're claiming, um, you know, they had this target of uh, 3% increase in sales. Well, the sales have actually gone backwards. And yet the board and the management are sitting there as they're saying, they're seeing green shoots from the new mire. Well, Solomon, <laughs> Solomon Lee said he thought they were weeds. <laughs> He's not impressed. And claims, and claims that they're obviously a bit problem paying their electricity bill because the sills are all dark inside. So, <laughs> so anyhow, so, so one of their, one of the, one of their, one of their new initiatives is that uh, they're going to close some of their stores if the landlords don't put the rent out. Well, put the rent down. So, um, I think, you know, I think generally retail's playing it tough. And I think, I think, Shopping centres, um, you know, have been squeezing a lot of the tenants, particularly the smaller, especially retailers, for a long time. And, and stores like Meyer and, and Coles and, and Woolworths and those big uh, uh, core uh, key shops get a significantly less rent per square metre than the small retailers. Anyhow, so if Meyer's finding it tough to pay the rent, you can imagine what the small retailers in there who's probably paying two to three times the rent's feeling. And, and so, you know, that's... that's And, and Solomon Lou's actually come out and actually closed some of their um, some of their, their, their other stores through Premier Investments because of the excessive rent. So I think, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're, you're holding stocks in any of those retail... Um, 
uh, property trusts and big shopping centres, I, I think you might find that the the, the days of uh, increasing distributions each year might be coming to an end. Well, that's interesting. And yeah. uh, would this spell the end for shopping centres? Do I don't think it'll spell the end for shopping centres. I think that, I don't think I think they're going to have to readjust and yeah. readjust and and just, respond to yeah, threats. Respond. Like yeah, this, yeah. and you know, I think yeah. the days of just jacking the rents up each year are, yes. are coming to an end. Especially, you know, they like this five percent. Increase, which was already, which was already all good when you had five percent inflation, but now, you know, you, you're putting your rents up at twice the rate of inflation, and and, and people hard. haven't got the money to spend. And the, yeah. Well, you mentioned Woolworths. Woolworths, how Woolworths is Woolworths' sales figures. So someone's had a bit of bright spark in the retail sector. Also, so Woolworths announced sales figures yesterday for the quarter, and and generally they're accepted as being their best results in ten years. So, right. so Woolworths' uh, supermarkets uh, business appears to have turned the corner, and they're claiming to see green shoots in the big W business. These retailers like these green shoots, don't they? <laughs> but but the, big, the big W sales were, were actually up. So, um, okay. you know, they're, they're, they're probably a bit more than weeds. They're probably seedlings coming up with the green shoots <laughs> rather than the, the, the weeds. As we so see. the future's looking bright in the, the short The future's term. looking bright. I mean, I mean, if you just go out around here and you see a couple of competitors side by side, now, there's a few centres that side by side, and Woolworths still always looks far busier to me than than, mm-hmm. than than the other ones. I mean, there's the ones at Garden City, and there's the ones at Market Town. They they got mm. almost side by side shops, and you know, and if you look at the shop themselves, mm. you, you can see why Woolworths stops far busier than the, than. Okay, so you... particularly the one at Market Town doesn't look like anything's been. Mm-hmm. Done on it for years. Okay. Um, and uh, News Corp. Well, News Corp's having a tough time because News Corp was came out of a split between uh, the old News Corporation split in the News Corporation, the new, new the new News Corporation effect, and the 20th Century Fox business. Well, what, what what was left in News Corporation, the old new News Corporation from the old News Corporation, <laughs> yes. was was the basically the newspaper business and the real estate dot com. Well, newspapers are, are, are continuing to drop in um, circulation and profits um, in a lot of cases. Um, interesting, the regional based ones aren't nearly as affected as the main the main titles. Um, and so, since it since the split. Oh, between the two companies, uh, News Corp's lost 50% of its value. So there's a number of unhappy uh, investors there in News Corp, but I don't know there's much they can, much they can do about it. Does that mirror the Fairfax journey? Um, I think the Fairfax is probably worse. Okay, and that, of course, happened a while ago when conditions... Yeah, I think Fairfax is... You know, if ever there was a company that lost the... The golden opportunities, it was Fairfax, and it's just amazing, yeah. And Stephen Pritchard, our market update and banks, well, there are always a bank, there's always a bank or two in the news, isn't there? Let's start off with Bendigo Bank. Well, Bendigo likes to think of itself as the uh, as the kind of ethical bank and supporting the community. So that's what they, they say that differentiates them. But anyhow, they had their AGM this week um, and the um, they, the bank announced at the AGM that the, there's been a slowdown in uh, lending, mm-hmm. which, 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 which is no real surprise because the regulator was particularly... Um, um, trying to slow down the growth in property and, and restrict lending. So they announced there's a fall in lending, um, slowing lending growth, and as a consequence, their shares probably fell by 28 cents. Right. So that was the only thing that really came out of the Benigo Bank AGM. Uh, no real surprise. You'd expect that the, expect the other banks are going to announce a slowdown in lending. And I, I noticed from our clients in the practice it's harder to actually get 
get a loan from the banks than it was, you know, 18 months ago. So they're being a little more conservative, perhaps. Oh, changing their lending criteria. Yes. and Yeah. Fair enough. And how about Westpac? Westpac. Well, of course, the, 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 the allegations that ASIC made about the, the big four banks or the big three banks, they haven't decided on CBA at the moment. Um, uh, allegedly manipulating the the marketing the bank bill rate. Um, so so this week um, it was heading for court due to start the court case on Monday I think. And West and uh, ANZ and uh, NAB NAB settled with the Securities Commission over the weekend to avoid the court case. Um, but of course Westpac said they've done nothing wrong. So Westpac's uh, Westpac has got is in court defending the matter and I expect that that's going to drag on for some considerable time. And cost some considerable And cost, money. well of course if ASIC loses mm. they could face a cost bill of $100 million which will be paid for us by us taxpayers. By us indeed. And of course and if they and if Westpac does actually win uh, ANZ and AB are going to look pretty silly. Mm-hmm. Yes because they've already settled. Yes and paid out Tens of millions to ASIC. Mm. Um, and uh, CSR, CSR's profit came out uh, this week. Uh, CSR's mainly involved in no longer in the sugar, but mainly a building supplier, particularly CSR Plus support. So the profit was out 4%, up 4%, which was no no uh, real surprise considering the construction boom that, that came on. But the share price promptly fell after CSR warned that the rising energy prices, which once again is no surprise, is, is going to affect the future profitability. I mean, the government's saying that they've got this new energy guarantee policy, but well, you know, it doesn't go far enough. The, the energy prices need to be benchmarked with the major major contributing and nowhere have I had an explanation despite asking Energy Australia AGL and Origin as to why the price of energy in Australia is three to four times what it is in the US mm-hmm. and you know the, the closest I got was that they have different inputs and when I pointed out to them that the, you know Coal's traded on a world market, gas is traded on a world market, so the input costs will be the same. And as far as I knew, that the the sunshine for the solar panels costs the same in the US as in is in Australia, and there was never a response. So, so you know, you have to wonder. It is starting to affect Australian businesses, and if you've got big companies like CSR saying energy costs is going to affect businesses, they'll, they'll just end up manufacturing offshore when the energy costs are cheaper. Which is and, you, and you've already got you've already got so James many. Hardy doing that. Yes. You've already got um, the fertilizer manufacturer factory doing that yeah. um, and Australia's losing jobs over this yes. and we should have the lowest energy prices in the world. Because of all our sunshine. All right. Well and all the resources. Wind. And our resources. You know we're exporting yeah. the gas cheaper. Yeah. You can buy Australian gas overseas cheaper than you can buy it in, in, in Merriweather. Mm. It's just bizarre. It's bizarre. And well, Amazon is Amazon. Well, oh, of course, Australia Post is is now looking to work with Amazon because they want to deliver all their parcels. Um, uh, and but I, but I just hope that Australia Post uh, doesn't yeah. charge Amazon less than it's charging existing Australian businesses. And and the result of that, of course, is that which 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 they'll probably try and do. And the result of that will be the small Australian businesses are effectively subsidising Amazon. So I think uh, Australia Post needs to put out a statement that you know if they are going to work with Amazon, which is fair enough, they won't be charging any less than they're already charging their existing customers. Oh, which will be an interesting response. That will be interesting, and something will. Get you to keep an eye on, Stephen. Perhaps we should get a few people to ring up Australia Post and, and ask them. <laughs> yes. 
We are joined now by Mandy from Centrelink, and we're looking at income that's accessible for determining pensions. Stephen. Um, accessible income, well, that's a, that's a term we commonly hear in the tax world, but in the Centrelink world, apparently it's a term as well, but of course it'll have different meanings. Absolutely, has a different meaning, Stephen, of course. <laughs> so, so how does Centrelink calculate how much your pension is paid to someone? So with the pension, we're looking at two tests, an income test and an asset test, but with a focus today on the income test, depending on whether a person is single or partnered, there is an income-free area. So when we're looking at someone's pension, a single person can have accessible income of up to $168 a fortnight before their pension's affected by income, and members of a couple can have accessible income of up to $300 a fortnight combined before their rates of pension are affected. So what 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 does what falls in the definition of income? Well, there's a huge range yes. of accessible Just incomes out there. But if we're looking at probably some of the more common yes. types of accessible income, um, deemed income would mm-hmm. be up there very highly. Um, most pensioners would have some deemed income. Um, we've also got things like wages, um, overseas income for people who may have lived and worked in other countries, uh, different types of business income, so uh, p- partnerships, sole traders, trusts, mm-hmm. companies, rental income, um, And workers' compensation is another type of income some people may have. Right. So what about uh, uh, income from a a superannuation pension that's not accessible for income tax purposes? Is that generally counted for social security? Yes. So, I mean, if we're looking at something like a defined benefit pension we're talking about, so a a retired um, public servant, Commonwealth Mm -hmm. State public servant, for example, the defined benefit pensions are accessible. And of course, there's special rules that apply to them. We basically look at the gross pension, so the top amount they get, um, and then their those pensions will sometimes have something known as a tax-free component. So obviously the whole pension for New South Wales state superannuants, for example, is non-taxable. But this tax-free component um, is potentially exempt from Centrelink assessment, but that is capped at only 10% of the gross pension. So so only 10% of the pensions included or? Exempt. Only 10% is exempt. So 90%. Oh, 90% is included. Yes. Okay. In some cases, 100% if there's no tax-free component. So it's very, very case-by-case basis. So just because, it's, so I think the rule is here that just because it's not accessible for tax purposes doesn't mean it's not going to be counted for uh, Centrelink purposes. Absolutely, yes. Our rules do not mirror the tax yes, laws. Yes, it would be too easy if they did. And so what does deeming? mean and how does that work? Uh, deeming, very common term that, um, you know, in my day-to-day interactions with customers, I'm talking about um, how deeming works. Deeming is basically an assumed rate of return. So if a pension customer has money held in financial investments, uh, savings, shares, managed funds, rather than centering look at the actual return that the people receive on those investments, we apply the deemed rates of interest. So the deeming rates are set by government and the deeming applies to people depending on whether they're single or partnered. There are certain thresholds that apply um, and it's basically applied regardless of actual return. So that's on all financial assets? All financial assets, yes. So the definition of financial assets um, 
can include some account-based pensions. Yes. Uh, not all, those, because yes. some account-based pensions are assessed under grandfathered yeah. rules, exactly. So, so basically it includes, uh, the, the most common things it would include would be deposits at the bank and billing society and credit union, shares and managed funds, and then some superannuation. But if you've got other things, you need to inquire as well. Yeah. 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 And so there's something called a, a work bonus as well. So what, what do you get a bonus to for working? So uh, Jane and I are eligible for that, or, or you? Or? <laughs> Not quite. No. Uh, the work bonus relates to age pension age customers who are receiving a pension and continuing to work for salary and wages. Basically what the work bonus does is it exempts the first $250 per fortnight that a person earns from salary or wages. So under our income test, when a person is working, the gross wage is assessable. Mm-hmm. So we look at that you know, top wage, and then if they are age, pension age, we will deduct the first $250, and it's completely disregarded. So is that per person or per couple? It is per person. So if we have a couple who are both on the age pension and both working, it is the $250 per fortnight each that is disregarded. Right. Oh, that's a... That's Just an incentive a, for people incentive, yeah. Yeah, working past pension age. Yeah. So, um, so what if someone's got a pension from the UK or... or or the USA, or, or even, um, which is common in Hamilton's Greek or Italian pensions, mm. um, what, what about those? Overseas income is assessed income under social security law. So we look at how much they are receiving in the, the currency from the country of origin. Centrelink apply exchange rates to that on the first working day of every month. So it's not the responsibility of the customer to advise how much they receive each month or quarter, depending on payment frequency, um, in Australian dollars. They simply need to report to us the amount of of the foreign currency that they're receiving. And then on the first working day of every month, we'll adjust the exchange rate um, to determine that in Australian dollars. So how often do they have to report that? Or do they just need to do it the first time and then Centrelink gets information the overseas authority. They need to report it certainly when they start receiving it yep. um, and if it's indexed. So right. if, if their um, country does increase the payments, then yep. they'd need to notify that the payment's been increased. Okay, so, so have, they, have they got to do it straight away or is there a certain date? Within 14 days. Okay, any change so of circumstance so needs to be notified. So any change of the increase in pension or decrease for whatever manner they need to report that to Centrelink. Absolutely. Oh, well, that seems fair enough. Yeah. Um, and so income from businesses and trusts and companies, that that's all subject to those complex assessment rules, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes, Stephen. We have staff in our department known as complex assessment officers, and they look after those um, more tricky cases, I guess you'd say. So people who are directors of companies or have family trusts type structures, their details would be assessed by our complex assessment officers to determine how the income is assessed. So, again, it's not... The, the tax returns are certainly a basis for making yep. that determination, um, but there are some deductions that are allowed under tax laws that the Social Security law doesn't allow. And so that would also that would also include income from things like... Um, deceased estates where there's a trust set up that provides income to beneficiaries, that's got to be counted as well? Yeah, so testamentary trusts, yes, we would be looking at those and looking at the actual returns. So deeming doesn't apply to financial investments held within trust structures. Okay, so it's the actual... Yeah, so uh, for trust to company type structures, we're looking at actual returns, um, whereas investments outside of that, then the deeming rules apply. Okay. Be a lot easier if we just had one role. <laughs> um, and is a workers' compensation so workers' compensation payments? Uh, how are they treated? 
depends. There's a couple of different yeah, like no, everything. Isn't say it? That. <laughs> um, depends on the date of the injury. If the person was receiving a Centrelink payment at the time of the injury, so basically periodic payments or you know regular payments mm-hmm. of compensation can be treated two ways. They can be treated as a direct deduction, which basically means for every dollar of compensation the person receives, it takes a dollar of their Centrelink payment away, or it can be treated as ordinary income. So where that income test applies, the income-free area, and then the reduction to pension applies. So what happens, which isn't uncommon in workers' comp, someone gets injured and, of course, they've got no money, so they go and get a Centrelink benefit. At some stage down the track, they get this lump sum payment, mm-hmm. um, and then part of that represents lost earnings. Do they have to pay any of the Centrelink money back, or is it, it depends on some other rule? It, it does depend on the judgment. Um, generally speaking, with a compensation lump sum payment, it may impose a preclusion period right. on Centrelink payments. So if someone's injured at work, um, they're pursuing a compensation claim and they're using Centrelink as their means of support during that, uh, if when the, the compensation payout is made, the, there's a loss of earnings component there, then that preclusion period will often be backdated to the date of injury. So in the case of someone having received a Centrelink payment uh, from the date of injury through until judgment, it is possible that there may be recovery of those Centrelink payments from their lump sum payout. Okay, and it might not be possible as well, so they need to. Come yeah, in and it, it talk absolutely to depends on the terms of the judgment. Specific. Yes. Uh, so, is there any other? Uh, any other tricky things we need to have a look at here? Because we've oh, got one minute left. There's loads of tricky things, Stephen. <laughs> there's loads of tricky. <laughs> no, look, honestly, it's about going to the source to find out about your circumstances. There's a lot of, um, you know, people in the community that like to talk to each other about their situation oh, and how yeah. it relates to Centrelink. T- tell me about it. Yeah, but it's very important that people, you know, come to us, come to the Department of Human Services to look at their individual situation to determine, you know, their eligibility. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't know how many times I've had clients come in to, to me and say that uh, Mrs. Smith down the road is getting the full age pension and, 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 and you know, sh- she's got more money than me. And mm. I'm thinking, well, how do you know that? Absolutely, yes. And, 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 and you know they haven't, so you know, I sent them across to Sally. But, yeah, that's right. You've got to look at your own circumstances and not, not what someone's told you at the bingo or the golf club <laughs> or wherever. Yes. And thank you, Mandy Barton, for coming in and enlightening us. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thursday Finance will be back next Thursday on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.